0: things. If we're going to prove our love for God and our love for others, we got to show forth some things. And so I I want to preach today from first John chapter three, verse 11 through 18. If you have your copy of God's word, you can turn there. If not, we'll have it up here on the screens. Hear these words of our father. John writes, for this is the message You have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Say one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Verse 13 tells us, it says, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, my God. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Verse 16. This is how we have come to know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow brother in need, but withholds compassion from him, How does God's love reside in him? Verse 18, he says, little children, let us not love in word or speech. He said, don't just talk about it, but in action and in truth. Father, I pray, help us to not just love in word, but let us word love in action, God. So, God, help us to have proven action this morning. God, help us, God, to see your word clearly, Father. And so, Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would be with us. Join your people today, God. I pray that you would speak through me, Father. God, I pray that the words that I communicate would be words of life, Father. And so, Father, I pray that I would disappear up here and that you would show forth flat-footed, proclaiming the word of truth to your people. And, God, when we hear your word, God, help us to respond, God, by saying, Lord, help us to obey. Don't let us just be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. And so, Father, it's in that same spirit that I pray, God, that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my redeemer. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, one more time, everybody said, amen. All right. wonderful. <laughs> An NFL player who goes by the name Beast Mode was being interviewed before his Super Bowl appearance by one of the all-time great Dallas Cowboys football players, Dion Primetime Sanders. <laughs> In the interview with Beast Mode, you would often find that He was often short on words. And so during the interview, Deion Sanders, primetime, asked him, Dallas Cowboys, great. He asked him, he said, man, you're often short on words. Are are you shy? And Marshawn Lynch, he responded, he said, nah, I'm not shy. I'm just about to action, boss. He said, i never seen a whole bunch of talking win me nothing. So I'm just about that action. And so I want to submit to us today is that if we're going to prove it, that we got to be about that action. If we're going to prove the love of God inside of us, then we're going to have to be about that action. And so I want to submit to us today is that I want you to see clearly that as we're on this path, as we're on this journey towards proving it, as we're on this journey towards having our love be in action, we've got to understand that there are some impediments to action. John helps us very clearly with this. He tells us in verse 11, he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, which says this, that we should love one another. Somebody say one another. Love, as we talked about a uh, uh, past couple of weeks, we've been talking about love. And the word that John uses for love is a word that r- refers to or suggests that we should welcome one another. John is telling us that we should, as we say here at Epiphany, we should live woven with one another. And so as we welcome one another, we, we, should, we should have a sense about our lives that loving each other means that we embrace one another. We should have this sense about our lives that loving one another means that we will entertain one another. Anybody like to entertain, have people over your house and stuff like that? Sometimes. Okay. (laughs) See, we got to work on that here at Epiphany. We need a hospitable church. No. (laughs) And so like sometimes you love to have people over your house and you love to cook for them and serve them some, you know, um, some adult beverages and some brown water and all that kind of stuff like that. Those kind of things that you do. It might be clear whichever one you prefer. Uh, But we like to have people and we like to welcome them uh, to our house and we like to serve them and things like that. And so we like to entertain but what John is suggesting to us is this, is that if we're going to love one another, then our lives must serve spiritual drink and food to people in our lives. We must provide nourishment to them. And so uh, as we love each other, we have to grow in our fondness for one another. As we love each other, we should grow in our pleasure with one another. We ought to be well-pleased with our brothers and sisters, and we should be content with one another. But there's a problem. John points us to the problem here in verse 12. He says that in verse 11 he says we should love one another unlike Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So I want to submit this idea to us is that envy is an impediment to action. Envy is an impediment action. I want to jump back to Genesis chapter four because I don't want to mess it up and I want you to get a clear sense about what happened there with Cain and Abel. So, turn to Genesis chapter four. If you have your Bibles, if not, we have it up here on the screen for you. And so, Genesis chapter four says this. Once I get to it, my page is stuck. There we go. It says, the man, speaking of Adam, was intimate with his wife Eve. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of of time, Cain presented some, some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering. Some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And watch what happened here. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? Verse seven, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So I want us to see this very clearly. And I want to help us understand this. Is that enemy that envy is the greatest enemy of love. See, what happens is envy desires to have you. Envy's one of envy's greatest ploys is to get you to stop seeing yourself as God sees you because you're focused on what you see in others. See, we we live in a social media age where we're constantly watching other people. We live in an age where we're constantly comparing ourselves to the images that people present of themselves online. And so as we live in this culture, we've got to understand that one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is is to get us to stop seeing ourselves the way that God actually sees us. And we that happens because we're so focused on what's happening with other people and envy will cause you to miss out on what God is doing on the inside of you, whether it's positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. See, here, God was giving some negative reinforcement to Cain, and he didn't like it. It didn't feel good to him. And so what we have to understand and see is that nothing causes you to step outside of your character like envy does. See, envy will get you to acting like someone that you don't even know. Envy will cause you to step outside of your character in ways that you never thought you'd be able to step outside of your character. And you start doing stuff that you never thought you would ever do because of envy. You forget who you are when you have envy in your heart. Envy plays with your emotions. Look what it did to Cain. It said he was furious and he was despondent. See, envy makes us furious. The first thing that happens is when we see stuff, something starts to kindle in our hearts. That word there for furious is the word that means to burn. You know, like Usher said, let it burn. Not that kind of burn. (laughs) i got dirty minds. No. (laughs) The kind of burn he's talking about is something seething on the inside of you. And that happens. You see somebody post a picture about their vacation. And you hate like it. (laughs) Almost broke your screen. (laughs) Tapping all hard. And you start saying stuff in your heart and something starts to see you there. It starts to kindle. And what happens is is that when you don't control that emotion and you don't submit that emotion to God, it will turn into a fire that you're unable to control. And it will lead to wrath, just like it did with Cain, and led him to murder his own brother. You see, we oftentimes have envy rise up in us and cause us to be furious, and it leads us to murder people as well. We start saying stuff like, well, she ain't even that cute, so... I don't know how she got with him. Her shoes don't match with her dress, so we start assassinating one another's character. Then it led him to being despondent. Envy will make your face and your countenance to be fallen. It'll cause you to be in low spirits and have no hope. And so if you're dealing with envy this morning, I want to encourage you to stop looking to other people and start looking to Jesus. If Jesus is the, the source that you look to, then the things that are going on around you won't matter as much because you are looking at something that's more beautiful than yourself and you can take your eyes off of you all the time and focus on someone else. Here's what envy will do. Envy produces entitlement within us. Verse 7, he says this. Watch what he says, verse 7. He says, Cain, If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. See, oftentimes we think that we're supposed to have something that somebody else has just because we want it. We think that we're supposed to get the thing that other people have only because, God, I want it and you should give it to me. But what we don't see, what we don't imagine is all the things that that person had to go through to get to the place where they are. We don't see all the late nights that they put in studying in order to get to the place where they were to secure the education to get the kind of job that they have to make the amount of money that they have to be able to go on those vacations that they like. See, we think that we're just supposed to get stuff because we want it. But, The scripture is telling us here is showing us today. He says that if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. And our culture is built on entitlement. Our culture is built on go after what you want and go get it. And it doesn't matter who you got to run over to go get it. And it should be yours just because you want it. Just because I looked at it and I liked it, I think I should have it. What the scripture is telling us is inviting us into this reality where we do not forget that we reap what we sow. And envy will cause you to forget that like nothing else. Envy will cause you to forget that the things that you have are a direct result of the things that you have sown into the ground. It will cause us to forget. And at times, yes, God breathes on things and he allows things to happen exponentially for some people. But that's not the reality. The majority of the time, the majority of the time is that they have a good relationship because they work at it. The reality is, is that they're successful because they work at it and they're not lazy. The reality is, is that they have the kind of things that they desire, and they drive what they want to drive, and all that kind of stuff is because they put in the energy and the effort to get them to that place. But envy will have you looking and saying, man, I should have that too. I should have a body like that. I ain't been to the gym in 13 weeks, <laughs> but I should have a six-pack too. No, <laughs> We have to have the right perspective. And so here's what I want you to see this, is that if envy is an impediment to action, then love leads to action. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. Turn back there. Flip your Bible all the way back to the end. Here it says in verse 13. It says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. See, envy gets us confused because envy makes us think that the world should love us. (laughs) Envy makes us think that everything that we do should be loved and liked by everyone. Envy makes us think that just because I posted that people should, should love it and put heart eyes underneath of it. Envy tells us that just because I've made an effort to do this, then everybody should be in love with what I've done and what I've said. But that's not the reality here. He tells us, he says, do not be surprised if the world hates you. We want the world to love us. I know this is a, this is a hard word, but they, we want the world to be in love with us. But Jonathan, he said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world pursues you with persecution. The most dangerous thing to happen in the Christian life is is that the Christian becomes a celebrity. The most dangerous thing that happened for, for the faith is that we have a, a faith that's filled with a bunch of people who are well-known and well-loved by a whole bunch of people, even people who are walking around in sin on a regular basis because it causes us to forget that we're called into the world to be light and to expose things and to show forth things to people and to have them come into a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby they repent of those sins and turn from their wickedness. We don't preach like this in church anymore, but... I'm going to talk to us about what it looks like to live a life that will cause the world to hate us. And, the, and, and we got to see that clearly. He says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Here's what he says. To, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. And the one who does not love remains in death. And so, for us to be passed from death to life, we, we move from one place to another, or we we've been removed or departed from one place. And so, what happens is, is love allows us to be removed from the life of death, from from life from the life of death. And we know that we've departed from the life of death because we love our brothers and sisters. I'm gonna make it make sense for you in a second. We when we show forth our love for our brothers and sisters, it is a foolproof that we have departed from the life of death. When when we can walk in a a relationship with other people and we can love them, watch this, above ourselves, then it shows full proof of the life that's on the inside of us. And so proof that the misery of sin no longer resides in you or no longer has a grip over you is that you love your brothers and sisters like Philippians chapter 2 tells us. It says to seek the interests of others over the interests of yourself. Wait a minute, Pastor Derek, but I thought I was supposed to like go get it. Like I thought I was supposed to secure the bag. Like I thought I was supposed to like 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 have my own best life right now and all that kind of stuff. Pastor Derek, I thought that I was supposed to do what was best for me and in my heart. No, <laughs> that's not what the scripture encourages us to do. The scripture encourages us to love others above ourselves. This is a hard word, but I want you to see this. He tells him, he says, he says, the one who does, he says, the one who does not love remains in death. And everyone, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother and sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing on the inside of them. So you hear the word hate and you're like, Pastor Derek, I don't hate Nobody. <laughs> You might be hating on someone, but I don't hate nobody. I love everybody. But the words here suggest, the word that John uses here for hate is just a word that means to love less. And so what what I'm arguing for you today is that when you love others less than you love yourself, you are guilty of murder. When, When you love others less than you love your own preferences, you're guilty of murder you like, Pastor Derek, I ain't murder nobody. What you talking about? I understand that. John used a couple different words for murder. Uh, the, the New Testament uses a couple different words for murder. The first word for murder is the word Sicario. So, you know, anybody saw the movie Sicar-, uh, Sicari? Anybody saw that? A couple more people in this one. Y'all got to watch more movies. Because I'll be trying to bring up examples. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know y'all faithful reading y'all Bibles every day and all that kind of stuff like that. That's why you don't have time to watch movies. But, whatever. <laughs> But the word here, Sicario, is is a word that means an assassin. That's not the word John's using right now. He's not saying you're an assassin if you love other people less than yourself. That's not what he's saying. Thankfully, right? There's another word that's used that refers to homicidal murder. You're like, daddy, Pastor Derek, you up here talking crazy. (laughs) But it's a word that's used of intentional criminal murder. So John is not using that word either. He's not saying that when you love others less than you love yourself, that you are an intentional murderer. He's not saying that. The word that he uses here is a word that implies that it doesn't necessarily imply the intent of murder, but the content of murder is still present. So let me help you. When you put your interest above the interest of others, you scrape away at the purpose that God wants to draw out in other people. And guess what? When Jesus came to the earth, the model that he set for us was that he was going to go to a cross and die for us so that we might have a better life. So that we might have eternal life and access to it. And so what we're called to do is we're called to render our, we're supposed to call to surrender our lives and ourselves so that other people might have access to the fullness of life that Jesus is calling for them to have. So when you're out here slaying it and living your best life and killing it and securing the bag and you're doing that in a way that seeks to put others below you, then you are guilty of being a manslayer. And he says eternal life does not reside in you. And so no one who puts themselves above others will have the fullness of life on the inside of them. You don't know what everlasting life is. You don't know what eternal life is until you have learned how to serve others. Serving others is the pathway to life. Y'all quiet on me this morning. It's okay. Serving other people is the direct pathway to life. And putting others before yourself is the fullest expression that you have eternal life residing on the inside of you. That's why we say here that we want to help people make a difference in the world by leveraging their work. We believe that you serving on a wonder team and serving other people is a pathway to life for you. The reason why we have two services in the first place is that we'd love to see each one of you sitting in one service and serving in another service. We don't want you to go, oh, I got options. (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not what that was for. We wanted to make room for other people who were lost and didn't know Jesus to have opportunities to come to a a service at a time that was most convenient for them. But that was just a booby trap. That was to get them in here so that we can convince them to give up of their lives and start serving other people. So our desire is this, is that you would come and that one service, here's what you do. You come, you pull up a chair, you grab your Bible in hand, your notebook, and you lean in to be filled up by the word of God. And then after that, you kick that chair away, but you take this same Bible and that same notepad, and you go and pour your life into someone else. That's what our hope is. And so as we're talking about proven action, we want to call each and every one of you to action today. We want to call you to sitting in one service and serving in another. We want to call you to using your gifts and your talents and everything that God has placed inside of you to serve someone else. That's why we celebrate Janae today. Because she's done that faithfully from the beginning here with us at Epiphany. And so, yeah, there you go. Give it up for Janae again. One more time. Like, we don't, we don't just have two services to make room for those folks out there. We care very much about those folks. But at the same time, as a pastor, I'm called to care about each and every one of you. And I know that the greatest source of life for you is to serve other people and not just think about your own interests. We go, Pastor Derek, you know, I just don't have time. Like, Pastor Derek, I'm so busy. Well, I'm sure Jesus didn't have that much time when he came down from heaven I mean, he was probably running the universe or something like that, but I'm sure that he didn't have all that time to come. And, oh, you know, he just came and died for you and served you and whatever, like, you know. And if we're supposed to model him, guess what? we got to do the same. He says, no murderer has eternal life residing on the inside of him. But then here's John, here, John. Here goes John. Here's what he says. He says, this is how we know the kind of love that, we're, that I'm talking about. Here's how we know the kind of action that we're being called to. It says, verse 16, that Jesus laid down his life for us. If you're a believer, that should have got you excited, that Jesus laid down his life for you. And he's calling us, guess what, to do the exact same thing. He says, therefore, we must also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. I want you all to see this. Jesus laid down his life for us. What does that mean, he laid down his life for us? The the, the word that's used in the New Testament, the Greek word that's used there for laid down his life, is a word that means or has the sense of to, to lay aside some money. So Jesus laid down his life as a down payment for the penalty of sin that we should have paid. Jesus paid our ransom with his life. And the life that it's talking about is the breath of life. He, he, get, he laid aside the, his breath in order for us to have life. But also, this, this, this gets me excited here. The, the word here that in, in the, for lay down, it has the sense of serving something. I, and I need you to see this. I need you to see this very clearly. The word that John uses here is the word that we get our English word tithe from. So John is telling us that we must give up our lives as a tithe to God. Because Jesus, when he came and he gave up his life, it was as a tithe to God. And so if we're going to serve God, if we're going to give up of ourselves before God, then we've got to tithe of our time, our talents and our treasures to serve other people you we're only asking for a a few hours on a sunday morning that's it we're just asking for a little bit of time we're asking for you to serve what you have been served and so if jesus if you have the realization in your heart that jesus gave up his life for you that he tithed himself as a ransom for you then you ought to be able to tithe of your time to other people and just give a small amount of time throughout your week to serve somebody else in order to see them come to know jesus He laid down his life for us. We got to set aside our time, our talent, our treasure in order to do that. And so we say here in step three of growth track, when you go through it, we say that we serve God by serving others. Let me get a little bit technical with y'all. Is that okay? Get a little, little little dorky for a second, a little nerdy. The Greek tense of this word to lay down. It has the concept of a verb that is considered without regard to past, present, or future time. So what John is arguing for us today is that the call for us to lay down our lives has no reference to what time is. And so in other words, is that it doesn't matter what your past was like, you still got to lay down your life. It doesn't matter what's going on presently in your life, you're still called to lay down your life. It doesn't matter what's going to happen in your future, you're still called to lay down your life for others. And so we're called to that, we're called to giving up of ourselves and laying down our lives for other people. And so when we do that, here's what we do, we got to know, we got to put our emotions to the side, You can't allow your emotions to stop you from laying down your life. You you can't allow your feelings to stop you from, from pursuing service to God through serving other people. You can't allow your personal desires to stop you from laying down your life. You can't allow the things that you're passionate for to stop you from laying down your life for other people. So he says here, in verse 17, he says, "And if anyone has the world's goods, and sees a fellow fellow believer in need, and withholds compassion from them, how does the love of God reside on the inside of them?" The word for holding compassion is a word that that means to close one's heart to something. And I'm finished, Ryan. You can come on. We, what we often do is this. Oftentimes we close our hearts off when it comes to serving other people. We say, Pastor, ah, ah, you know, I'm just, I've been busy this week, and the way my life is set up, I just don't have the time. And we close our hearts off to the idea of serving others. But what we don't understand is this, this word also suggests, this word for withholding compassion suggests that we obstruct entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We can't close off our hearts to the idea of serving. We're called to action. John is saying that we, if, if we have time, if, and we all have time, You don't use your time as wisely as you should, but you've all got time. We've all got talent. Whatever it is, you've got one. We've all got treasure. Some of us have more than others, but you still got treasure. So John's saying if you have those things and you withhold them from those who are in need, you obstruct their interest the, in their entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We can't close off our hearts, because when we do, we cause heaven to withhold its reign on other people. How do you know the love of God resides in you? Is that you serve other people? <laughs> it's, that, it's that simple? You love your brothers and sisters over yourself. Verse 18 says, we don't just do that in word or in speech. <laughs> that ain't going to work. But he says, we do that in action and in truth. Faith without works is dead. You can say all you want. If I there I love God. I do. don't have time well how can you love god who you've never seen and hate your brother and sister how can you do it it doesn't work james the brother of jesus tells us he goes on to say in james chapter two verse 18 he says that show me your faith without works and i'll show you my faith by my works He goes on to say that when we don't do that, he calls us a senseless person. He does. He says, "You senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? You can talk all you want. We can talk a big game. We can do all that. We can talk as much as we want to talk. But if we aren't willing to serve others, if we aren't willing to give up of our lives." If you're not willing to lay down your life, that means your interest. That means the things you're passionate about. That means the things that you think will provide you with security. If you're not willing to lay all those things down, the love of God does not reside within you. We got to know this, that in truth, John tells us that our love can't be pretentious. We can't talk a big talk and our actions don't line up. Our love can't be some simulated reality. We can't pre- we can't be present but not actually be there for people. Well, I showed up but who were you there for? We can't lift our hands from the plow because we don't feel like it today. Faith is the only thing that allows us to love as we should. Verse 23, I'll close with this. He says that now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his command remains in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given to us. Let your love be shown in your action in serving one another as you seek to serve God. Father, thank you God, use us today. God, help us to secure the reality of our faith and that we seek to serve others. Lord, I pray this morning, I pray, God, that you would help us to put our love in action. Don't let our love just be some words that we say let our love be put in full action today. God, I pray to see this church be filled with people who are giving up of their lives to serve others. God, I pray that this church will be filled with people who are seeking to serve those who are far off from you. God, I pray God that we would pull up a chair, God, and be poured into by the word of God, but then we would stand up and that we would serve other people by pouring our lives into them. And so God, help us this morning, help us to see you clearly, help us to see you plainly. And Father, I pray by your spirit that you would help us to walk in the newness of life that you've called us to, which calls us to give up our lives for the sake of others. It's in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, I pray. with thanksgiving, knowing that you'll do everything that you said you would.